Great to be here with you. My name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to, uh, to be able to share with you this morning. Hey, before we um, get the podcast started, recording, and get on with the message, I need to make a public apology to you guys as our Northwest Community Church uh, family. If you were here two weeks ago, I was speaking, and uh, that morning as I was getting dressed, I thought a good idea would be, I've got this, uh, this Henley shirt, you know, it's got the button down uh, as an undershirt, and it's kind of a red, kind of like a faded red color, and I had like, you know, a navy blue shirt that went over that, and it looked like a good setup um, to wear. However, when I got here, apparently something with the way the light hit at a certain point, you know, I was probably one button down from this, so I was kind of pulling this little move right here with my t-shirt underneath, but apparently the color that it was with the light seemed to kind of, I don't know, how do you say, wash out, so it looked like I was um, with no t-shirt whatsoever underneath. And so apparently, some people who were sitting up here didn't notice anything. Hey, he looks like a very nicely dressed young man. Uh, but if you're a little bit farther back or in certain spots, you're like, is that guy even wearing an undershirt? What is he trying to prove? And so there are a few texts going back and forth like, what is Jerry wearing this morning? I don't know, but he shouldn't have worn that. So I just want to share with everybody here, if you were here, there was very much an undershirt underneath it. Uh, and I would never dare pull that kind of move and look like this guy. Um, <laughs> Karate Kid, Ralph Macchio, maybe it worked for him. Not so much 41-year-old pastor in 2016. So anyway, just wanted to apologize if that distracted you. And if you're visiting here, you can tell this is a very open church family. Yes, we are. So, um, so anyway, enough with that. Hey, let's get on with our, with our message for today. We are thrilled to be in our week two of our Home Sweet Home series. And uh, today, the title of the message is, It's Just a Phase, So Don't Miss It. And this morning, uh, what we're going to talk about is uh, going to a very deep place where we're talking about uh, the serious things of life and we're talking about the different phases in a child's life and how to capitalize the most on each one of these phases while we still have time. Just want to remind us this morning that this series is for everyone. It's not just for parents that have kids still in the home. Brian mentioned this last week. We are all invited to this opportunity to influence these children and these students. As a matter of fact, we mentioned that two weeks ago, um, Jesus gave us the illustration of elevating his spiritual family to the very same level, if not even higher, than his own physical family. And we get that same concept here this morning, even if your kids are already grown up and off to college, or already married off, and, and you're empty nesters, even if you've never been married, if you're single, if you're married and you don't have kids, we can still understand that this is our spiritual family. And we've all got opportunity to impact and influence at each one of these stages. Just to remind you, Jesus never had a family of his own. He was a single man. 
and he impacted people. Think about the Apostle Paul. Never got married, but yet impacted lots of people. You think of many of the couples, even the patriarchs, that didn't have their own children until lay, way later on in the game. There's opportunity for all of us to come together and to learn something powerful and significant this morning. So I hope and I trust and I pray that God will open our minds and open our hearts. It's just a phase. Oftentimes we think about that phrase when it's something inconvenient for us, right? How many people have uh, newborns, toddlers that are still in diapers in the home? Let's raise your hand up really, really high. Those dirty hands that have been soiled many times. Right, okay, gotcha. Lots of you, right? Man, how many times are you like, all right, you know what? I cannot wait until they are out of this phase. I cannot wait until they can go to the bathroom on their own. <laughs> right? In every single aspect of each one of these phases, we kind of get that, man, they're just driving me crazy. They're around all the time. I can't wait until they go to school. I can finally get some free time back on my own, in my house, in quiet. And so then they start school, and well, I can't wait until they get up into middle school, and they're not so immature and whatever, and they, they can be a little bit more responsible. They can make their own plans, so we don't always have to be, you know, uh, hanging out with them at home when they can get friends and hang out. And high school, I can't wait till they get their license, so I don't have to be the taxi cab driver, amen? Man, I can't wait until they get freedom and independence and get a job, so they've got their own money, and I can't wait. And then somewhere along the line, probably midway through the high school years, you're like, hold on. This very quickly is coming to an end. And no longer do I want this to hurry up. Instead, I want this to slow down desperately. I can't believe that they're going to be graduating in two years or in one year or that it's here. So this morning, we're going to talk about each one of these or four of these phases and how to leverage our time the best. What is a phase? Why is it important? Check out this definition. A phase is a time frame in a kid's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future. Every single one of these phases is unique and there are very distinctive things that are, that are presented to us over time. I want you to think about this concept here this morning. What we want to do here this morning is we want to recognize that when you see how much time you have left, you tend to do more with the time that you have now. This didn't just come from Reggie Joyner, an author that has had some incredible influence in this area, but it came from God. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, says this. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So the more we get to the point where we're counting down the days and the weeks, the more we can make the weeks count. If you've been around Northwest for a while, you remember several years ago we used a similar illustration each one of these marbles representing a week in your child's life from zero to 18 when most likely for many that'll be around the year that they graduate. You're probably going to hear it again in a couple of years. This is one of our values as a church, capitalizing and investing in young people, equipping parents and equipping the whole community to come alongside. 
But what we want to do here this morning is we want to challenge you to make history. See, whether you realize it or not, history is already being made right now. This week, this month, maybe it was driving lessons, maybe it was a dinner out, maybe it was a soccer game, maybe it was playing basketball in the backyard, but time has been spent and history was made and memories were made. What we want to challenge you to do here is make these days and weeks count. So the way we've crafted the message is we've got four different phases that we're going to be talking about. And when you think about time and you think about phases, have you ever thought that maybe God established time as a platform and that some things are so complex that they need to be presented strategically over time? We see that other illustrations in the Bible, right? Even creation, God took six days to create the heavens and the earth. He could have just done it instantaneously, but he took time. And in the same way, God wants to communicate something to these precious, valuable young people through us, and it's going to take time. There's an app um, on your smartphone that I would encourage you to download completely free. It's called the Legacy app. And this is what it looks like. These are my three kids. You just type in the birth date, and it will keep a running track for you of how many weeks you have left with them in your home. Outside of situations where they come back after college. That's a whole other message for another time. But I would encourage you to download this, the Legacy app. It'll help you to count your days like Scripture says. Let's go ahead and talk about these four phases one by one. And um, we've arranged it by three specific things. Number one, what is the crisis they're facing? Number two, what is the key question they are asking at this phase? And number three, what is their biggest need? What do they need to hear? What do they need to experience? And we've got scripture that would be good for parents or the community as well in each one of these Phases. Let's talk about this first one, uh, this newborn stage. Here we are, 939 weeks, 936 weeks um, on average. Okay, so this is your newborn baby. We've got some newborn babies, six months or less in the place. Let's see some hands. Anybody? Couple, okay. Bring us back there. Remember that. Remember holding that child. Remember the helplessness that you felt. I remember holding my baby up like Simba, you know. Every single one I did that, actually, now that I think about it. But the idea that, God, this child belongs to you, and man, I don't know what I'm doing. Please help me. Speak into me. Bring a community around me so that I can make them ready at this point for this point. So what do they um, need? What is the crisis that they're going through? Well, for them, um, it's staying alive, right? Safety. They're so helpless in those first couple of years, and uh, we know that we have to feed them. We got to keep them cool enough. We got to keep them warm enough. We need to protect them and guide them, and that's the main role in those first couple of years. Three and four, um, it's safety as well, but maybe for a different reason. 
You know, any dads accidentally leave the uh, ladder up on the side of the house and you see the three-year-old go up to the top? You've got stories, I'm sure, of kids that just are insistent on hurting themselves, right? It's our role as parents in this young stage to keep them safe. That's the crisis. What is the key question? Why? Why, 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 why? They ask it about everything, right? Everything's a question. They're inquisitive. They want to know about the world. What is their biggest need? Love and security. Man, here at Northwest Kids in our nursery and our preschool, you've got teachers there right now that are showing these infants love. They need security. They need to understand that there's safety there. There's commitment there. And that no matter what question they ask, you're not going to make fun of them. You're going to enter into that. No matter what game they want to play, you're going to enter into that. I don't care how old you are or how cool you are. When a three-year-old hands you a plastic phone, you're going to answer it. Right? We recognize that this is huge. And Psalm 139, for parents and for the rest of the community, brings these things into perspective. That's where David says, oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. Even before a single one of my days was written in your book, you knew them all. And you saw my unformed substance when I was still there in the secret place in my mother's womb and you knit me together and you wove me together. You know my thoughts, you know everything. To recognize that every child is an incredible crafted special gift from God is imperative I prayed with a couple last service after the message she works in crisis pregnancy and her heart was breaking for those lives that never even get to this point but we've for here if you've got children we've been crafted we've been created God knows us and God loves us, and it's incredibly important that we understand that second stage. We want to talk about the elementary age. We go here from, from uh, 936 down to a 10-year-old, so all of a sudden we're looking at 416 marbles left. My daughter's 10, and these are the weeks that I have left with her. 10 years old, maybe about fifth grade or so for many of us. What do they need? What do we need to know about this stage? Well, number one, what is the crisis? Comparison. Think about it. Whereas before, you're just in the home. You're with your mom most of the time, maybe her friends, and you go meet at Chick-fil-A, and it's all controlled, and it's all safe. Now, all of a sudden, when you start school, you're five, and you're six, and you're seven, and now, all of a sudden, there's dozens, if not hundreds, of other people that are your same age, and you start to compare, because now, all of a sudden, there's something to compare to. There's all of a sudden grades that are being given on tests. There's somebody who's at the top of the class and somebody who's at the bottom of the class. There's people getting chosen for sports teams. There's awards that are being given and others that aren't being given. Now all of a sudden they're seeing that there's a much bigger world. And it's not just all about me, I'm comparing myself. What are their biggest needs? 
engagement, relational capital from parents, and concrete illustrations from Scripture. Let's think about this for a second. This idea of engagement as parents and even as a community, we need to engage their interests right where they are. Talk about this phase, and it's a pretty big one, all of elementary, but think about all the different hobbies, all the different likes, all the different activities that they were into at one point or another. And as parents, we can either just ignore that. As a faith community, we can just say, well, that's great. Or you can get down on their level and you can step in to that imagination, step into that story and meet them where they are. When I was in second or third grade, I think like many um, boys that age, I, I always was looking for some imaginary battle. There's always a fight to be had, right? I was always scared that somebody was going to break into our house. Uh, I loved, you know, G.I. Joe and, you know, some of those cartoons that had to do with fighting and battle and war and all that. And I was so nervous in my imagination that somebody was going to break into my house in my room in the middle of the night and take me down that I set up these little green army men. You remember those? Remember those bags of those that you used to get for like 99 cents? And there's the one guy that, you know, was, was like this. And there's the one guy that was flat with a big machine gun. I love that one. Then there was the one dude with the, with the radio. You know what I'm talking about? How many guys had those? Let me see your hand. Oh, all over. How many ladies had those? Okay, a few of you. Come on, it's all right. That's good. But I would set those up in my room on top of the windowsill, on my dresser, pointed right towards that particular window. And I'd do the same thing on the other side and the same thing to my bedroom door. And I always had the radio guy at each one of those spots as well in case he saw anything. And you need a radio for some help and make sure everybody's communicating. And that's how I slept soundly. But you know what? My parents entered in to that story. They broke into my room one night in the middle of the night through the window. No, I'm just kidding. They bought me more of those. They brought me bigger ones. They wanted to supply that uh, fodder for imagination and enter right in. I've experienced that a little bit as well as a parent. A couple years ago, you know, I had two in the elementary age, right around 10, my son Caden and my daughter um, Madison, who was eight. And they had caught wind of this YouTuber who specialized in what they call the dumpster diving. And this guy would go behind GameStop and behind Toys R Us and electronic stores, Best Buy, whatever else, and he would go into the dumpster, open up everything, and there's somebody videotaping it. Oh, awesome. Look what I found. I can't believe somebody would throw this out. This is great. This only has a scratch on it. Look at this game. And so my kids started planting the seed. Dad, we should go dumpster diving. Yeah, I don't know. Let's just go in the store and look at it or wait for Christmas or whatever. No, we want to go. Dad, there could be cool stuff. Dad, they throw everything out. If there's just a little scratch on it, dad, dad, dad. And so finally I'm like, all right, Lord, I want to enter into the story, but I don't want my kids to get sick or arrested. But God's like, what did your parents do for you, Jerry? So I'm like, all right, guys, you know what tonight we're doing? So I got on gloves for everybody, you know, and we drove to Beaver Creek, 
right around the corner from my house at like 10 o'clock where there wouldn't be anybody that could drive by that could see me that I might know. And I pulled down to the back and I turned the high beams on, this big nasty dumpster. I'm like, all right, guys, go for it. All right. So they go out and they start looking in and they come running back. Dad, it's scary in there. You need to come in there with us. Had my ESPN app on. This isn't so bad. What? All right. So I get out and I step into this mess. And we got flashlights. And I'm like, what am I doing? And I tear open this big black garbage bag. And let's just say, I think the staff at GameStop had a chicken dinner uh, for lunch. So there's barbecue sauce. All right, that's nothing there. You know, we're looking around. But you know what? We found a couple of pretty cool things. We found some posters. We found some games. And they're going to remember that forever. The reason I did it is so that I would look back later on and they would look back on that memory and know they had a father who stepped in and engaged with them where they were at that point. It's funny, and one of the reasons why I chose that, that first video was I love the storyline behind it, right? Where it's just a little two or three-year-old girl and she just paints a sketchy-looking tree on the wall. And as she grows, she does that more and more. And the last one is a beautiful picture. You caught that, right? And she took it off and there was the original. With the idea being, even as children, there's a personality, there's a soul, there's loves that you can connect to even way later on. And the important thing about this phase is when you enter into that, later on in life, maybe you can see what some of those loves or interests or fears really meant. Later on in life, especially when I got into middle school, high school, definitely when I got into college, definitely when I got married and got into ministry, I think about my story and I think about when I was in second or third grade and I think about those army men and I think, you know what? I was onto something back then. There is a battle going on. There's not people wanting to break into my house, but there's an enemy that wants to break in and cut my life down and steal and rob and destroy. According to Ephesians chapter 6, that's battleground, military terminology that's being used. Be on stand, stand firm. The shield of faith. Sword of the Spirit, helmet of salvation. Even back then, I can see now that it was sketchy and it was blurry, but now I see a lot clearer. And I talk to my kids now, and I'm like, you know what I love about you guys at that stage? I love that you recognize that people throw stuff out. I love that you recognize that there still could be something good and salvageable in junk. You may have to get your hands a little dirty. You may have to work hard. You may have to step into the filth. But there could be something that's worth something great if you will just do that. That's true in dumpster diving. And man, as the years go on, how true is that in life? Something or someone that's been cast aside, that's been broken, that's been marred, that's been tattered. 
And yet there still can be found beauty and redemption in that. Entering into their story is powerful. The key verse for that, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. This is Moses commanding the people and God commanding the people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, at every stage, at every phase, in every situation, there's a lesson that can be learned about God and about life. And unless we take the time to step down and step in and engage with that, we're going to miss those opportunities. The next stage that we're going to talk about is middle school and high school. Middle school right, is right here. I've got a middle school son right now. This is for about a 13-year-old. And we've got 260 weeks left, down from over 900 for a 13-year-old. Middle schoolers, our hearts go out to you. How many middle schoolers do we have here? Raise your hand up really high. Oh, we love you so much, middle schoolers. Love you. You know why? You guys are going through the most physical change since the first nine months that you were in existence in middle school. Some of them are like, stop talking about us. Welcome to middle school. Oh, my goodness. What is the crisis? Oh, it's pretty obvious. It's right there. And my father, to this day, cannot pronounce that word. He calls it poobatry. And we were laughing about this when my sister was over, like, less than a year ago. And she's like, he does not still do that. I'm like, all right. Called my dad, put him on speakerphone. Hey, um, what's that awkward stage when, like, you know, the body starts changing? Oh, Jerry, that's poopetry. I didn't even correct him. It was too beautiful. But we know that this could be incredibly awkward, right? That's a crisis. That's needless to say. Well, with that, with all the body trying to catch up to, uh, you know, itself and all the weirdness and the gangliness at times, not always, they're asking a pretty key question. Who do I like and who likes me? Certainly, that can be true by way of crushes and romance and puppy love and stuff like that. We've experienced that, but guess what? If you go down to an even deeper level... They're asking the question, who likes me? Not just that girl over there, not just, you know, that, that person that I want to flirt with, but I'm saying, in general, my friendship group, am I accepted? Who likes me? Self-confidence plummets during the puberty years. Trying to figure out who they are. Manny and I experienced this in my household, my son with school, you know, and you've been around middle schoolers, you've heard this, you know, the whole flipping attitude of like, who cares, you know, why do I need to do this homework, who cares, 
son, I want you to clean your room. Who cares? It's kind of like, you know, they're trying to figure out authority and kind of bucking up against authority, and there's a question, well, who cares anyway about this? But I wonder sometimes if there's a much deeper layer to that question that is the exact same phrase. And they're saying deep down inside, with my uncertainty, with my lack of confidence, who is it that really cares about me? What value do I have to others? Key verse for this phase, the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This is Paul writing, and he says, hey, lack of confidence. Here's what I have to say, Paul says. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. In other words, I'm not done with you yet. And if you're anything like me, you look back on your middle school pictures and you go back to there and you're like, good heavens to Betsy, that was awkward. I looked awkward, I acted awkward. I mean, here at Northwest, we've got very cool middle school students. There's no awkwardness here. But for many of us, that's where we were. But man, if we could just express to them, reassure them, encourage them, and point them to their true confidence, which comes from God. And finally, we got the high school stage. The crisis, freedom. Picture William Wallace. Freedom! I remember the first time I got my keys uh, to my car, 17, in New Jersey. First time I was driving by myself. I've never been high in all of my life, but I felt a high feeling that has never been repeated because I'm just like, this is me. There's nobody here, no parent. I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. Freedom. But that can be a crisis. Let me just remind you of this. Middle school is the last preventative stage. And so once they reach that realm of high school, now all of a sudden they're starting to have friends of their own. They're starting to have jobs of their own. They're starting to have a, a social life of their own and a car of their own. And they're thinking on their own. Key question many of them are wrestling with is, why not? You've tried all you can. You've tried to influence them, tried to have them in church, all of this, and now they're um, taking steps on their own and they want to do this or they want to go there or they want to engage in that. And they're asking the question, well, why not? It's important for us to be there for them at this very moment and help us to recognize that there's incredible potential in, in, in these ages. And in scriptures, kind of, um, you see both sides, right? On the one hand, with young people, you see some very negative illustrations of young people. Uh, one, her name's Rhoda in Acts chapter 15. It's a great story, and God decided to put it there in the Bible. But she's a very absent-minded um, teenage girl. Anybody know any of those? Point to them right now. No, I'm just kidding. But it's in scripture, and there, you know, they had been praying that Peter would be released from prison. All of a sudden, they hear a knock at the gate. And Rhoda goes running downstairs, and she sees that it's Peter, the very one that they had been praying for, was miraculously released from prison, slams the door right in his face in all of her joy, and goes running back upstairs to tell everybody. 
And he's down there just keeping on knocking. Hello, got something. And then you see uh, another example of um, a, a teenage boy, his name was Eutychus, who was um, sitting there in church listening to Paul preach, and his eyes were heavy, and it says Paul would go on and on and on and on and on. And it says that Eutychus fell asleep and fell out of the second story window down to the ground. Do we know any girls that can be absent-minded at times? Do we know any guys that can be irresponsible and fall asleep at important moments? Right? These are both in the Bible. So we see that side, but man, we see the other side as well. We see incredible things happen through high school age students. We see people like David and Joseph we see 10 of the 12 disciples who were most likely teenagers. We see Mary, who was a teenage mom. And over and over and over again, revolution and movement start with the young. So it's imperative that we see how important that is. Key verse for them, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So flee then youthful passions. And instead, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So it's not just, oh, stay away from all this stuff. But it's, no, run towards something greater along with other people that are of the same mindset. And I'll tell you what, as a father of a high school girl, I'm so thrilled that we've got so many strong friendships and godly people in this student ministry and godly leaders pouring into them. So that's where we get to this point. Anybody here have a senior or soon to be? 52 marbles in here, although technically it's probably somewhere more in the 30s since we're here already in September and they graduate in May. The question for you here as we come to a close and we think about this whole idea of graduation from birth is each one of these stages, how have we done? Have we capitalized on the time or have we just missed an opportunity? I've got one last um, illustration that I want to give to you um, and it has to do with an overarching grand story that we didn't see before. When I was 13, 1988, it was Christmas Day, and um, I was there with my family. My wife and I often argue about who was poorer when we were growing up, because both of us did not have a lot at all, and as a matter of fact, um, our families were not unhappy. They were incredibly happy, and we didn't realize how little we had until many years later. But several times a year, we would go to a um, mission in, in downtown inner city Newark, New Jersey. Several times a year, we would go to a nursing home, a convalescent home, and we would put on programs, we would sing, and we would do all these different things. And I can remember Christmas 1988, Christmas Day, it was a Sunday, we had opened all of our presents, we had had a huge meal, and my dad said, all right, kids, everybody get dressed. We're going to go sing to Miss McCraney. Miss McCraney was a shut-in, couldn't get out of her house, 
80-something years old. And you can imagine after opening all these gifts and a huge meal that we just had and football that was on TV, the last thing that I wanted to do was go get dressed and go out and sing to somebody. It's Christmas Day, we said. My sisters were all piling up the arguments. Dad, we just want to spend time as a family. And I was like, Jerry, we're going. So we all got into the car and we drove to her house a couple miles away. And there she was sitting in a chair with her caretaker. And we sang a bunch of Christmas carols. Um, I played the piano for her, a number that I had worked up for Christmas. We spent about a half an hour there, we prayed, and then we left. And as soon as we got home, there was a message on the answering machine. And so back the old school, sitting on the wall, and it was blinking, and hit play. And it was the caretaker, and she said, uh, Pastor Hines, you need to come back right away. Something's wrong with Miss McCraney. So we got back in the car and drove back. And he came home a half an hour later and he said, you're not going to believe this, but not more than five minutes after your family left, Miss McCraney died. So the very last thing that she heard on this earth was the Heinz kids singing. And someday I'm going to ask her, up in heaven. So was it our singing that kind of <laughs> put you over the edge? Because it couldn't have been <clears throat> very good. But as I thought about it, again, years later, as I thought about it, I'm like, you know what my parents were doing throughout each one of these stages? They were inviting us as kids into a much grander story of serving other people and running to the derelicts and the broken in inner city Newark and running to the old and the lonely in the nursing home and taking time on Christmas Day to encourage somebody else. So that day, as somebody from earth went to heaven, something from heaven came down and touched earth as well. And as a child, now looking back, I can see the grander story. So my encouragement to you guys this morning then, with each one of these phases, is to take the time so that time doesn't get taken from you. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we just come before you this morning. Lord, as we think about the seriousness of our task, Lord, it could be for some here that um, they're filled, even right now, even hearing these things with regret and with guilt about I didn't do that and I missed all of that and it's too late for me now. Father, I just hope and I pray here this morning that you would just remind them that as long as they're here, and as long as they're breathing and they're alive right now at this moment, there's something that they can do. Redemption can happen. And so God, I ask that you would number our days. And Father, if we find ourselves frustrated at these stages, Lord, give us not a spirit of guilt, God, we know you reach out to us with grace and understanding, and you got frustrated with your disciples constantly when they didn't get it. 
But Lord, I just ask that you would help us and you would teach us, God, and help us to bring these spiritual truths to them right when they need it the most. Help us band together, God, against this culture. God, as brothers and sisters and family, spiritual family, I just pray that you would help us as we surrender our kids to you. God, we recognize they don't belong to us. They belong to you.